Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblechild.com slash outnowpodcast. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your Android, iPhone, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking about silence. Abe, shh. Sorry. Wait a minute. I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hi, hello, how are you? Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly, we cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler for your view, then you go back and do other film movie topics. This is episode 271-271. We did it! I think this is like the the third official show of the of the new year? That, that is, yes. That's, that's Gold, true. silver, bronze. We did it. Yeah, we had a... Uh... We had our our awesome Fences episode with my mother and my lovely girlfriend, and we had our Top 10 of 2016 episode, which is an epic two hours and 59 minutes long, because <laughs> I wanted to get it just under three, and I accomplished <laughs> that goal. And uh, this week, we're talking Silence, the newest film from director Martin Scorsese. And uh, joining us today to talk Silence, we have from Cinemaxwell, back from a punishing day in the ocean, it's Maxwell Hadded. Hello, everybody. Does anyone have a towel I can borrow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maxwell, glad to have you back on the show. How are you doing? I am doing well. It's a pleasure to be back. Thank you, as always. For sure. I know we've uh, wanted to get you on for a little bit now, and it's uh, finally worked out. It's all good. But, yeah, uh, you know, the, the holidays and the end of the year, uh, and with my work and stuff, it's just been super busy. So I'm glad to, things have uh, settled back down a little bit. Well, I know in addition to, uh, you know, getting to the movies and what have you, you have also uh, you, you got a, a restaurant opened, I believe, I'm not mistaken, right? What? Yeah, that, that's true. My... Uh, my family opened a restaurant in New York, so I've been pretty busy with that over the last uh, two to three months, if not more. What, what's that establishment called for all those New Yorkers that listen to the Outdoor <laughs> Podcast? <laughs> that establishment is called Maxwell's Chop House. All right. It is an elegant, old-fashioned steakhouse. Nice. Very cool. We dry-age all our own meat, lots of great side dishes. It's a lot of fun. Great. All right, so let's get to some quick show note stuff real quick. As I mentioned, our top ten episode is on iTunes and everywhere you can find our podcast now. It's a lot of fun. We have uh, Abe and myself, along with friends of the show, Mark Hoban and uh, Marcus Robinson, talking along with a lot of other cameos, and I got I threw clips of different movies in there. So it's a really packed episode, really a lot of fun, a lot of good recap of the of the 2016 year overall. And, yeah, it was a pretty good discussion. Uh, I especially liked uh, how diverse our, our lists were. And um, in addition to uh, that episode, we have an upcoming commentary episode. We do a commentary every month on this podcast, and... Uh, Floating around some ideas, but I'll just say right now, it's probably going to be one of Paul W.S. Anderson's greatest films that we're going to talk about for this summer's commentary. Ooh. And mm. given that he only has about three good movies I could probably name, I think you can, you can probably narrow it down, because actually we've done one Paul Thomas Anderson, or pa- Thomas, Paul, we've done one Paul W.S. Anderson movie already. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> gotta, be, gotta be the Three Musketeers, yeah. <laughs> you know what? That movie, not bad. I agree. Not bad at all. <laughs> I, I like. I mostly like his non-Resident Evil movies. I I, I do. I think it, as cause, because he, he comes from a production design background, his movies always look very good. They're very and, good, yeah. And you know, taking it out of a video game franchise that I think is inexplicably bad or not inexplicably <laughs> successful, yet I find to be all bad. It, uh, he, he's his talents go better in other areas, regardless of how other stories might be. Regardless, this isn't a Paul W. Sanders podcast, uh, so yet, not yet. Yeah, yeah until we morph into one. Three Musketeers. By the way, I believe it made Quentin Tarantino's top like films of that year, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Which always seems like a weird bit of trivia. 
Anyway, new commentary track is coming <laughs> to get back to the main points about all this. Uh, what else? iTunes reviews and ratings. It's good to get those. It helps out our show, helps other people find our show. If you want to log on to iTunes, search for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Uh, you can find us. You can give us a star rating, and you can even type up a, a sentence that would uh, you know, provide some sort of Thank review. you in advance, and here's a hug. There you go. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's move on now to uh, Know Everybody, where each week we ask each other a question or two, try to set the tone for the podcast, and better get to Know, know everybody. everybody. It's pretty good. Yeah. I have a question. Okay. What actor do you think would benefit from a great big bushy beard? Uh, <laughs> Toby Maguire. Toby Maguire. All right. <laughs> Has he ever done bearded? I'm trying to think now. I can't think of any time, but... One of my struggles with Toby is, despite thinking he's talented, he's he always comes off as young to me. He has this baby face and this, you know, voice, and so put a big bushy beard on him, and there you have your lead for the old man in the sea. I think he, I yeah. think he, I think he's bearded when he plays poker. I think that's his beard. That's the when he, whenever he's bearded. Ah, speaking of great big bushy beards, Jim Bradbent. <laughs> for a direct I reference. <laughs> He looks like he could use a great big bushy beard, though. Like, I'm less concerned if my answer to my question now, and I'm more concerned if Tobey Maguire's ever had a big bushy beard. <laughs> that's, that's he's he's a big player, but not a great big bushy beard, I think. I think so. Hmm. I have discovered, <laughs> now that I'm yes. looking into Tobey Maguire's acting credits, that he is going to be the narrator of The Boss Baby. Oh, oh. that's... I mean, okay. We'll see how it works out. Isn't it based sure. on his life story? So there uh, yeah, you go. It's, yeah, it's, this is, yeah, when Tobey Maguire is... People, people, a lot of people don't know that the Boss Baby is based off true events of Tony Maguire's actual life, where when he was a young baby, he would wear a suit. Uh, with, uh, with Leo DiCaprio? Yeah, Di- DiCaprio has a, there's a character He's based on him in Boss Baby, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> We're not off track. Abe, do you have a question? <laughs> I do have a question for you guys. Yeah. Scorsese or Scorsese? <laughs> I always say I've heard, Scorsese. I've heard it both ways. I, I say Scorsese. Yeah. I always say Scorsese too, so it's strange when I hear Scorsese. And I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's funny. A, a TV spot for Silence came on the other night when I was watching TV with my fiance, and the narrator definitely said Scorsese. Right. And we both were sort of flummoxed because traditionally we think of it as Scorsese. I like the idea that you're sitting in a couch and you both look at each other like guffaw, like, <laughs> just by hearing the word Scorsese. <laughs> we did. I mean, if anything, she reacted first, and that was funny to me. I, I only say Scorsese when I write it in italics. <laughs> what? How do you say it if it's in boldface? Yeah. Scorsese! Or, or oh, underlined. Right. Or underlined. You know what? I, per- I pretend to be on a first-name basis with him, though, and just call him Marty. Marty. So. Oh, you call him Mar- Marty. Martin or Marty? Marty. 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 <laughs> wow, you guys are on great relationship terms. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I call him Martin, and whenever I see him, I go, Scorsese, how y'all feel? What? That's yeah. a Martin joke. It's from the 90s. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> so, I, I have a question. Yeah. yeah. If you were traveling to Japan under precarious circumstances and you felt for your safety, who would you rather have by your side? Andrew Garfield or Adam Driver? I feel I, like Adam Driver. Yeah, Driver. And that's no disrespect to Andrew Garfield, but Adam Driver was in the Marines. So, I well, feel like he could... And, and he's Kylo Ren. So. There's, there's that there's that rage factor for sure like certainly dri- not driver in patterson form like as much as i love patterson because of my number one movie last year you know right dr- driver in his more like rage friendly form where it's like yeah he can you know he can uh, well even in patterson actually has a he has a moment where he uh 
he can act if necessary. Is a rage out moment? No, it doesn't. No, but he he. There's a situation that presents itself where someone needs to take control of the danger present present, and um, he, gotcha. he manages to do so. But he also, you know, he could play young Lincoln. He's got reach. I mean, so that's that. <laughs> he could play young Lincoln. Yeah, no. When I when I when I watch Lincoln now, <laughs> I I always figure that the Adam Driver scene in that movie. He's actually Daniel Day Lewis from the past, who's come back. Oh to, like, man! Yeah, I had I, I sci-fi <laughs> that twist is such a great to theory. all Spielberg movies. You should. Uh, oh my god! You, you should really hear my theory about always. Uh, These fan theories are just getting out of control. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, soon you're gonna have like a three-part book. It's gonna be made into a movie and parodied by the Wayans brothers. It's gonna be that's, awful. That's the goal most people have to not to write to write a book, <laughs> have a movie based on that book, and then have the Wayans brothers base a movie on your movie. <laughs> Nice. I mean, it worked, yeah, it worked out for that author, or whatever Excellent. her name is. Yeah, Drink, drinking my juice in the hood was was really formative to me. So yes, of course, <laughs> that was a Wayans good movie. Brothers. It has its moments. Yeah. Don't be a menace. Yep, it was really going for that longest title award. Yeah, it might have. Sure. Come to think of it, <laughs> it's certainly yeah, it's up like, there. I wonder what's longer. Hmm. Tu Wong Fu is up there. That is true. All Too the pirate movies are up there. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, you oh, that, yeah. That one kept swinging out the gate where it's like, it's not just Pirates of the Caribbean, guys. It's Pirates of the Caribbean, colon, The Curse of the Black Pearl. It's like, we mean business when we made this Pirates movie. <laughs> yeah. They set their expectations from day one. Can you tell that I've forgotten the question that Maxwell asked? <laughs> yes, uh, Adam Driver or uh, Andrew Garfield if you're traveling to Japan in, in uh, Yeah, see, and, yeah, and you conditions. mentioned like, Adam Driver being in the Marines. Meanwhile, Garfield, what does he have? Hacksaw Ridge where he's not even using a weapon? Like, I mean, yeah, the guy's not going to help you out. That's true. He's kicking grenades with his feet. And we, have, we haven't even talked about this movie yet, like the things he's not doing to help people out. All he's got left is Spider-Man, but he's so emo now after Gwen Stacy died. So, I mean, it's just like, what do you, what do you got going? That was a sad scene. Anyway. First, Jamie Foxx. Yeah. <laughs> if only Electra wasn't so blue, double untied. Yeah, die. Um, so, <laughs> Boy. all that out of the way, that's how you play. No, everybody. All right. Let's move on now. Let's get to our, uh, let's get down to quickies. Yep. Each week and out now, we have a movie with the week that I talk about. What is the movie series? Yeah, that was pretty good. I, I mean, 2017 is pretty strong right now. I was happy with it. it was, yeah. It was good. Uh, Abe, have you seen any other movies this week? I did on TBS. I watched the TV version, TV edited version of Miracle, which I'd never seen before. And I'm sure there are uh, a lot of deep cuts of that Disney movie on TBS. I don't really. know if there there might have been like one swear word that they may have bleeped out. I'm not really sure. But uh, Kurt Russell's amazing in it. I think the movie is it's fine. Like, I think that it's it's very much it falls into the trope of, of team coming together kind of thing. But the Gavin uh, O'Connor movie, director of Warrior. Yeah, and I actually really liked Warrior. I think you and I both. Yeah. Um, and didn't he direct something more recently? He did. Well, he did. Let's see. Jane got a gun. Jane got a gun. And uh-huh. There's something before or after that that I'm not thinking of. Right now. Uh, anyway, but uh, if you're thinking about it, just it up. Yeah. Have you uh, not seen I, Warrior before? Is that what you're saying? Oh, or? He, um, uh, he directed the accountant. Oh, the accountant. Yeah. The of course. accountant. The that's accountant. right. Yeah. That's what it was. That's, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the story of team coming together it's it's pretty much what you would think but um i certainly enjoyed kurt russell's uh playing it as well as uh who's the who's his uh co-coach uh noah bomba or not noah bomba noah Noah emmerich Emmerich. yeah 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 related to the great producer kobe emmerich yeah who owns a what new line i didn't know that he's just got a different job oh yeah isn't he uh, like in charge of warner brothers now or something 
Yeah, something oh, wow. like that. Yeah, he took over Warner Brothers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Noah Emmerich. Yeah, he's a good. He's on the Americans, and he's uh, on the yeah, Americans. Yes, the FBI agent. I've loved him since the Truman Show. Yeah, yeah, he's, me he's too. Truman's best. Yeah. He has a lot yeah, of great supporting friend. roles. Yeah. Yeah, he's a great character actor for sure. sure. Yeah. He's he's slowly creeping into the Aaron and Abe uh, friend of the show. Yeah, status. we we don't talk about him enough because we have it. I mean, he's been doing TV for the last like several years. He has. Been, but uh, he yeah, has a great he has a great little moment in uh, that Aziz Ansari, a master of none. That's right. Yeah. Where, like the, he takes uh, like the, the yogurt. Yeah, he takes. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he takes the last one at that shop. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, Miracle. It's uh, it's pretty good. You know, I wouldn't. It's it's certainly something that you could definitely watch and not feel bad about. Maxwell, have you seen any other movies recently? Yeah, um, I recently saw A Monster Calls. Oh, yeah. I thought was fairly excellent and extremely emotional. It touched me very deeply. Um, and I find, you know, so often we talk about how special effects and stuff like that are overused or are there to hide the story. But I thought this was a really lovely case of special effects and fantasy elements used to enhance the story. And very mm. purposefully done and tasteful. I highly recommend it. Yeah, certainly a, a strong one from last year as well. Anna and I, had, we'd read the book, so we were really looking forward to seeing the movie. And we did. And uh, it, uh, uh, we liked it. I thought it was very good. I think the uh, for Abe, I, the uh, there's a number of like um, st- fantasy story segments that the monster you know tells to the child. And they're very much done in, the, in a similar style to the, the, the Deathly Hallows uh, animation mm-hmm. scene. Interesting, and uh, yes. I, think, I think you'd very much like that. Um, let alone the movie itself, I think it's quite good. Um, but okay. yeah, a lot of a lot of good stuff in there for sure. Good performances. Yeah, uh, I've seen a few things just because there's a couple of releases that came out this week that we won't be getting into in uh, further detail. <laughs> um, but I will mention them right now. The Bye Bye Man came out this week. It Not is, good. Good. It's, it's the uh, it's the January horror movie um, <laughs> that you oh. tend to get this time of year. Meaning that it's uh not good, and yeah, we can certainly say bye bye to thinking more about it. But uh, it's it it is it, it's basically a it's a it's a mix of like the Candyman, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Halloween all into one bad movie. Like that's that's what the bye bye <laughs> all is. into one bad three pretty good franchises minus the Candyman. <laughs> I, I will. I will say first first Candyman's legit scary. I don't know what you're talking about with Candyman. Um, but the the. <laughs> There is some real like, I wasn't bored watching this movie, and it's it has it just wasn't good. It's not good, no. It, like it, the first ha- the first like half hour is like pretty solid as far as what it tries to set up, but then it just kind of turns into oh yeah, these actors aren't very good. It's a lot of young actors, like new actors, sure. there. right? Not very good, but in you in the in the kind of way where you can tell, um, yeah. So it becomes kind of funny, and so that's why I wasn't bored with it, as opposed to something like I don't know, The Forest, which is not a good movie. But it's also like boring. It's like this the is the one well. with the the Japanese forest thing. Yeah, the yeah with okay. Uh, I keep I, I yeah. keep on mixing that one up with the Ellen Page movie, which I forget what that one's called. Something with forest. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah. Bye bye man. Not good. Uh, okay. I just think it um interesting about the bye bye man is how it is the screenplays by Jonathan Penner, who was a three time Survivor contestant, hmm. and really? was directed by his wife. I didn't well, know was get on them getting well, a green light on their movie script and making it. <laughs> I'd, I'd be well, happier to praise it if it seemed like a scrappy, like, hey, we made this for no money. It's like 11 million. It's like pretty high for a horror movie. So it's like, well, all right. Uh, Blumhouse would have turned it down. They'd be like, that's too, that's too much. Well, yeah, it's not a Blumhouse movie. <laughs> um, I know. Yeah, it would have been like 9 million or less. 
I was also able to see monster trucks with uh, with Anna. We, no! we saw monster trucks, and guess I'm what, so guys? Excited. You know what? It's and? fun. I had fun with monster okay, trucks. Okay, I'm glad. Oh, yeah. I'm glad. It, it's you know it's it is what it is. Like it, it's you've seen the trailer, you've seen the images. It's like it's not like it's any better than you know like it's not it's not like some kind of the new you know kids classic kind of movie. But for a live action cartoon essentially that has that premise. I, I don't know what the better version of that movie is. Like it, it's it's fun. I I enjoyed I watching it. Was I distinctly has... remember being on the show, uh-huh. talking about the trailer, uh-huh. and saying I am a fan of literalism. And so when you call a movie Monster Trucks, if you're giving me monsters in trucks, that's all I'm gonna need. <laughs> well, it delivers. It has a climax that really emphasizes the fact that the movie's called Monster Trucks. Excellent. I'm glad. I plan to see it. How is Scott or how's Alex Summers in it? He's <laughs> what's funny about uh, what Lucas Till is that like he's supposed to be like a high school senior and he looks like twenty seven <laughs> years really? old. Like he he looks yeah, twenty seven years old. Like, that's, like almost thirty. <laughs> but like the opening scene of him, it's like he there's like a big truck pulls up and it's like this guy and his girlfriend and he looks over and there's a school bus and like everybody in the school bus is like a kid except him like a kid like a kid like a tot like like, <laughs> like, like a 6 legit? 7 oh, years old okay. in the school bus so it's like why is this 27 year old man in the school bus like oh he's supposed to be a high schooler <laughs> okay even then why is he the only high schooler MacGyver on the school though. bus it's very yeah easy. i need a macgyver now so he could probably you know just <laughs> wire a car and drive it to school it's, but i'm it, glad that it's fun because uh, that's really what i'm hoping like, it seems like he was hired because like he has a big mouth and so he like makes exaggerated facial expressions and because he has that long hair so when the truck's like doing stuff the hair moves all around <laughs> it's like we only have one male actor we can find that nails both of those requirements <laughs> so here we go uh, hey man if it works it works i'm glad that he got casted i like that guy yeah. He's fine. Yeah, he, like he does his, he does the role. Like, and and yeah. the movie's packed with like actors too. And I can see like because it, it costs like it costs way too much. It costs one hundred twenty five million dollars. And I, can, I guess that's I can all my But it, here, I'm just gonna don't don't react so I can name all okay. these names. All right. uh, it, it, it has uh, it has Danny Glover, Rob Lowe, Thomas yeah. Lennon, uh, Amy Ryan, Holt McCallany, Barry Pepper. Like it's it's like all these wow. people are in this movie and it's like <laughs> uh, Frank Whaley, Brett from Pulp Fiction. Like it's just like why are all these people Brett here? from like, Pulp Fiction? That's what I think of it as. Yeah. What movie did these people think they were making when they signed on to do I, it? They clearly saw the title and they're like, that sounds fun. They're like, wait, this isn't an animated movie, or I just have to use my voice. I have to act in this thing, and then they got like already locked in the contract. So there you go. Well, I mean, yeah. they probably were like, oh, this is gonna be way better than Pete's Dragon, and then all of a sudden they got moved to January. <laughs> I was the probably what happened. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, monster trucks. It's not bad. Like it's All right. it, it is what Let it me is. Hear it. For especially because yeah. you don't get like, we talked about this before too. You don't get many PG live action kids movies these days. No, you don't. I think they need to make more of those. So it's like this, you know, for what it's trying to do, it does it fine. Like so. And you can't wait for the TV spot next week that says Aaron from Why So Blue says not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> They they did they did that recently with like uh I think it might have been Assassin's Creed or something like that and I was watching the spot and basically it's actually just Twitter lifts they they oh, yeah. lifted Twitter oh, yeah. quotes from random people and I was like this is this is That's so it. low <laughs> oh. it's it's never a great sign when the Twitter reviews are the ones they're highlighting in the TV spot right <laughs> yeah, I wonder I, like I wonder the sense of second. logic if. Like, cause it's not like you know they're not blind to this, so I'm I'm curious what the marketing stats are when they do that, as opposed to having actual reviews. If there's any kind of uptick 
inbox i was like well it's just people like just like us because they're on twitter like i am so i should probably see this movie now I'm, I'm curious how that how effective that actually is i don't think people are looking clearly at uh at it or they're not they're probably not analyzing it as as deeply as we are in terms of the uh where the quote is from but, but it's there I, there's like a, maybe a subconscious thing going on or that's whatever. true yeah and because the same applies to like when you have big quotes but the, like the type the movie they're you know it's from like you know like the utah daily or something like that where it's like right. some, like some random publication and not like rolling stones or something yes like local yeah Anyway, anyway um, I saw a couple more movies that I'll mention real quick. Yeah. I saw these a while ago, but I'll mention them anyway because they came out in wide release this week. Patriots Day, the Peter Berg film, uh-huh. um, the second of two from last year. Um, also, second good film of two last year. Um, I'm glad to hear it. I, I think he and Mark Wahlberg have really found a groove together because both Deepwater Horizon and Patriots Day are quite good. They've already got another one in, uh, lined up. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, forget, yeah. Uh, I forget what the premise is. But, um, I forget what it is too, but uh, it's, it's another like, yeah. right. And uh, Hidden Figures, which came out last week in wide release, I just want to mention that one again because it is quite good. I'm happy that it's doing well at the box office. So. Very, cool. very good. Yeah. Very good. All right. Let's, that was out of quickies. Jim. Let's be out of quickies. Jim. Okay, good. Okay, 2017, uh, yeah, yeah, i got to keep you on your toes. Yeah. Jim. Uh, preemptive in. strike. You get, you get edgy. You get, you get jumpy here, and we've got to know where you're at. All right. Kind of jumping with the gun there, Connor. Yeah. Let's, All right. <laughs> let's get to trail. Out of quickies. Jim. Okay. <laughs> Let's get to. Uh, <laughs> I'll get you. Yeah, someday. I'll, I'll get you. Not today. <laughs> not not today. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> not today. Let's get, to, let's get to trailer questions. talk. We talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week. What we thought of it. What have you? And uh, I, I'm building quite a list here of trailers we haven't talked about yet. But I want to talk about there's this. There's a one. lot. Yeah, I yeah, watch I like talk... 14 trailers a week. There's a. I got a. I got a list. I got. I'm keeping track. So I know what we haven't talked about. But uh, we've talked about some of these things actually in smaller detail in other episodes, but I want to get to this trailer for this week, A Cure for Wellness. This is the new Gore Verbinski film, a director I'm quite a fan of as far as uh, his visuals and what have you. Um, And I'm going to read the IMDb description of the plot here. It says, An ambitious young executive, played by Dane DeHaan, is sent to retrieve his company's CEO from an idyllic but mysterious wellness center at a remote location in the Swiss Alps, but soon suspects that the spa's miraculous treatments are not what they seem. So yeah, that's uh, that's the basic premise for A Cure for Wellness. And what I... I'm curious about is that I know Gore Verbinski was long, you know, long ago he was attached to the Bioshock movie adaptation, and while oh, this really, was, yeah, he, he was <laughs> he was gonna, but you know, making a an adaptation of Bioshock, which would have turned into right. a you know a very costly R-rated film, understandably gave people pause, and that's why it never really came to fruition. Still in development mm-hmm. hell currently, but it from the look of this trailer, you know, for being an original film or what have you, which it is. It has a lot of what I'd kind of expect from a Gore Verbinski Bioshock movie. I mean, it's obvious it's set in a different time than, you know, Bioshock's you know, more steampunk influence. This is a modern film that happens to be set in the Swiss Alps in this weird location. But there's some imagery here that kind of gives me a vibe of what he would have tried to be going for, even though it's not. Yeah, especially movie. now that you mentioned it. Yeah. yeah. So with that in mind, Abe, what do you think of the trailer? It's bigger than I thought it was going to be. It, it's a. Uh... When you read the synopsis, I didn't, I hadn't read it before. Uh, but when you read it, I was like, "Oh, that actually kind of makes more sense now. It actually sheds a lot more light." Which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, and uh, I, I mean that sincerely um, because just seeing the trailer by itself, I, there were a lot of questions that were popped up in my mind uh, as to what this was, as to what Dane DeHaan is doing, and just really what kind of world that they're living in. But um, now it's a little bit clearer, but still, I'm intrigued to see it. And again, it, it actually looks uh, kind of tense at times. And given the fact that I'm, I'm uh, 
you know, I support Dane DeHaan. I like him a lot. I'm hoping that this is a, an interesting movie. How about you, Maxwell? Yeah, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything that's been said. Certainly when I saw the trailer, the Bioshock comparisons were uh, clear to me in terms of some of the visual choices. Um, and I'm all for uh, interesting artists getting the opportunity to tell original stories um, with a good cast. And, you know, it seems like they were given the freedom to go a little surreal and crazy. Um, so I'm all for it. It looks really interesting. And I'm intrigued to see how it uh, develops and what happens. Um, I also get a little bit of a Shutter Island vibe from yeah. some of it. Yeah. So it'll right. be interesting yeah. to see if that's just a coincidence or if there's more direct parallels between the two. Well, when Dayton Nahan, you know, arrives in the Swiss Alps and says, I'm a duly appointed federal marshal, like that really kind of gave me pause. <laughs> Especially because, it you know, just Dan... goes more to the theory that Dayton DeHaan and uh, DiCaprio what's his face? Or... Yeah, DiCaprio. Yeah. Like, they're all just like clones of DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah. But no, like I, I, I certainly saw the, the kind of the shutter. Like, you know, in terms of the story, it, you know, it's even though it's an original film, I get kind of a sense of where it's going, but that doesn't, you know, that's not a... That's not that doesn't give me any pause. I'm just more of like I like that Gore Verbinski's doing something like this again. I mean, I I'm a huge fan of Rango, and I mean, I I really like his Pirates of the Caribbean films quite a bit actually, as far, yeah, especially as far as the visual invention that's going on with them. Even that, Lone Ranger, about Lone, exactly. That's what it, we yeah, about yeah, exactly. Lone. That's what we praise about Lone Ranger. There's other issues with that film, but I think there's a lot of good in the ideas and direction in it that just is swamped by you know franchise building and the excessiveness of it. But as far and, and you know, Gorvinsky's also you know he did like The Ring and, and The Weatherman for that matter. Like he's done a lot of different kinds of movies, and I that's why I'm happy to kind of support, especially you know when he's doing something that's you know not Lone Ranger or Pirates anymore. It's something completely original. Um, I'm very curious as to what he has to offer. And this movie just came out of nowhere. I didn't real I feel like I read that he was doing something new, but I forgot that it was happening until I started seeing trailers where it's like, oh yeah, that's right, Gorvinsky has a new like big movie coming out. So hmm. I uh, and you know based off just the look of it, it looks like you're saying it looks creepy very atmospheric and i'm all for that so uh, i'm looking forward to this one quite a bit yeah me too well cure for wellness arrives in theaters february 17th so uh, yeah just a, a little over a month away so not too much oh, i thought you were gonna say just a, a few a few days after few... valentine's day oh yeah yeah <laughs> a few days after valentine's day a week after the lego batman movie it just seems like a good time for a yeah. creepy gore verbinski thriller with that out of the way i think we can uh, move on to our main review for silence Ferreira is lost to us. He denounced God in public and surrendered the faith. That's not possible. Father Ferreira risked his life to spread our faith all over Japan. It seems to me that our mission here is more urgent than ever. We must go find Father Ferreira. This is in your hearts, then, both of you. Yes. Then I must trust God has put it down. The moment you set foot in that country, you step into high danger. That should have been some of the trailer for Silence, which is the new Martin Scorsese film that has been 25 years in the making for him. Based off a 1966 novel by Shusaku Endo, the story is inspired by true events. It follows two Jesuit priests, Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver, who travel to Japan to locate their, mi their missing mentor, played by Liam Neeson, as well as spread Catholicism. It is a dangerous task as the priests are forced to live in hiding, but also, must also eventually deal with the consequences of their presence, given the priests' underestimation of Japan's ruling power. As I said, it's a, it's been a, a long kind of road to get to this film. It's been a passion project for Martin Scorsese, and understandably, I can see how that'd be 
tough to get off the ground for a what 159 minute religious drama with uh, <laughs> only so much to kind of market. Um, but with that said, let's start with Maxwell. Maxwell, what did you think of Silence? Um, so yeah, uh, this is interesting. You know, I saw the film a couple weeks ago when it first opened and limited release in New York. And I've spent a lot of time mulling the film over since then. Um, and certainly I would hope to be able to see it again because at 159 minutes, it's very dense. There's a lot of nuances in the film. If we're talking just surface level, you know, this is, I can't call it a bad film. It's a good film. The performances are uniformly excellent with perhaps Andrew Garfield's best work I've seen in a film all the way down to, you know, surprising performances from actors I wasn't that familiar with, like Issy Ogata, who is really just strange and bizarre and delightful in this movie. <clears throat> Where I struggled with it, admittedly, is more to do with uh, the story and the actions that these characters take. Um, it's no secret that I am of the Jewish religion. And proselytizing, as opposed to many other religions, is frowned upon in Judaism. We don't go around trying to get people to convert to Judaism. You know, we just, it's not a part of who we are in our religious identity. And so I found myself questioning the actions of these priests going into Japan where they were not wanted, where they were trying to force their ideas upon people, some of whom were interested in the ideas and interested in Christ and many who weren't. And while if it had just been them going to try and rescue and find Liam Neeson's character, that's one thing. But as they're going through and they're constantly tested and their faith is questioned, it really sort of ate me up inside because I had a really hard time connecting on the level that I think the film wanted me to. And certainly I recognize that this is a very personal thing and not necessarily a mar on the film itself. You know, the, the film is really lovely. The, the pacing is deliberate and it allows time for things to breathe and, and the, the scenery is gorgeous. So there's so many good things in the film that I'm bothered by the fact that I'm struggling with it so much on a deeper level. You know, but that's one of the amazing things about art is sometimes the most impressive art is the stuff that really does challenge you and challenge your ideas and what you know. So that's why I've had a hard time with this film. And certainly I want to give it, you know, another chance to... To now that I sort of know what to expect to see how I can uh, approach it on a different wavelength. Abe, how about you? What do you think of the film? That is quite a deep uh, reflection upon it. I, I certainly liked a lot of the uh, technical aspects of the movie. I, I certainly thought that the direction was very, very well done. And uh, Aaron, you've said this before, but Scorsese, he definitely tends to continue to challenge himself by trying new methods of directing. Um, this one is no different. Uh, sure, there's like some some zoom shots that he usually does, and you've seen it in some works like uh, I forget the name of the movie I'm talking about with Henry Hill, but um, Goodfellas. <laughs> Goodfellas, yeah, sorry, uh, zoom shots and whatever else. But there's some interesting direction going on here, which really allows you to feel the introspection of these priests that are going out to go and and try and find uh, Father Ferrer, which is uh, uh, Liam Neeson's character. And along the way, again, they do encounter all these uh, Japanese folks who are religiously persecuted just for being Christian, right? Uh, and this isn't modern time. This is like 1670-some-odd. And 
for all that it is, I, I kind of was just with it until they finally got to some more introspective talk about how Japan views Christianity. And, and that's very much later into the movie, uh, especially with the, uh, I forget the name of the, the actor, uh, but he's, he's the, the inquisitor of the, of the region, which they're a part of. And then it actually gets way more interesting when you get to Liam Neeson's character uh, and the con- discussion that they have together with uh, Andrew Garfield. Uh, I certainly think this is one of Andrew Garfield's best work. Uh, I I was kind of blown away by it, actually. I wasn't really expecting anything, and I'm glad to see that it was such an emotional piece for him. But uh, on the whole, it's strange because I'm praising a lot of it, but I kind of just didn't have a lot of connection to it, and that's not a knock uh, in that – I, I didn't feel connected, meaning like, oh, well, I didn't understand the plight that uh, Andrew Garfield is going through or I didn't understand uh, the how how these Japanese folks had to live in secret and how difficult it was because it's conveyed through it through meaning. I mean, Scorsese is a master of like show, don't tell kind of thing, uh, and it really helps with some of the narration, which is which are the letters that are being penned by Andrew Garfield. But for whatever reason, I just couldn't really attach myself to it all that much. And again, I that's not a knock. It's just me personally. And maybe that's how Max, Maxwell feels, but I, I feel like mine's a little bit more spaced than his, uh, review. And, uh, I just, I appreciate it for its, its beauty and its look and everything else. And I, I definitely enjoy the acting. I like the story. I understood it. Um, uh, but there's just something in it that I just, uh, couldn't attach myself to. So maybe upon second viewing and I really want to praise this movie for its, aesthetic and the the amount of time that it took to get it made i mean it's like over 20 some odd years i mean that's but, more development but as far as like making the movie it's yeah i mean it's a beautiful looking film there's even one time where there's some uh color uh, gradation in it and i was like oh that's a really good look so again i understood everything that was going on it's just something that just didn't click with me so on the whole it is still a very good movie and i would recommend people go see it just to start a dialogue but um, for whatever reason, it just didn't uh, didn't feel like I was I was pulled into it and emotionally pulled into it. What I like hearing is that you both are willing to like you know sit down again and watch it, given the you know the length of the film and the intensity of it. And when I say intensity, it's certainly not a film that you know is full of action and what have you. It's just more of the 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 thematic and emotional and even physical struggle that these characters have to deal with the situation they find themselves in, uh-huh. and. I very, I very much admired seeing a film, very much put the audience within that, you know, that kind of plight as well. I mean, we're, we're, I've mentioned the length a few times here, and I mentioned it because the movie is long and it does feel long, but I feel like that's very deliberate, as actually you said about the pacing. The first, you know, half, not two thirds of this movie is devoted to the, the journey of of Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver's characters to find their mentor. I mean, they're also, you know living among the Japanese people in smaller villages and trying and, you know, doing their work as priests. But, you know, the overall journey is almost as apocalypse now type journey of trying to, you know, find Kurtz at the end of the river. Like they're trying to find their mm-hmm. mentor, Father Ferreira. And that whole kind of segment, it goes on a good amount of time, which i almost feel like it's a test for the audience in its own way. Like Scorsese knows what he's doing. He surely knows what he's doing as a master filmmaker, but he's essentially, he's not making it easy to just kind of like go along the, simple A to B to C story route, he's making it, you know, a kind of almost a punishing amount of time to get through all of this stuff so he can get to Liam Neeson's character. And by the time 
we do meet up with his character it it you know the the movie opens up to kind of new thematic ideas and what have you and really delves into what what Scorsese is trying to say and what the various avenues are as far as how to approach the idea of these priests being in Japan and what the the uh, the ruling parts of Japan want to do about it and what have you and I found that all very inter- I found the whole movie very interesting but I found that part especially you know it really you know it it gave further depth to the story I was already being told as far as the kind of acting goes in the in all of this I think it is quite terrific I think Andrew Garfield is pretty fantastic in this movie Liam Neeson who I was very I was humored by the fact that he decided not to like lose his accent. He's just like whatever. I'm going <laughs> to just going to be Liam Neeson. <laughs> you you won't mind. But I for what really kind of got me is that Liam Neeson, you know, Liam Neeson's like what? He's like 8 foot 4. He's super he's a tall guy. <laughs> like, he was going to play Abraham Lincoln. He's a he's a big guy and he's very, you know, he has a level of intimidation. He's imposing. But this is a film that breaks him down. Like I've, I don't think I've ever seen Liam Neeson look this vulnerable in a film before. Like he, he is, he's a, you know, he's a towering figure who can, you know, presumably beat you up given those taken films and the, the Yom Collette Sarah films that he's been in. But here's right. a movie where he, because you know, because of he's forced to kind of apostatize. That's the the reason why the other the two priests go on their journey to begin with. The rumors that he has, you know, kind of uh, throwing uh, throwing throwing it in on uh, on the Catholic religion and kind of went the other way seeing you know finally seeing his character this isn't a spoiler i mean you know you have to meet Liam Neeson's character eventually so it's not really a spoiler but just see, yeah. the way we see him it's such a di- it's such a a different way of seeing someone like Liam Neeson where i usually see him as a you know a confident figure here he's just he's he's done like he's been he's he's his his spirit has been broken and this whole film is you know it's seeing these characters kind of get to these vulnerable states where they have to really make big decisions about how they're going to proceed uh, given that they They've devoted their lives to a to a belief, and the movie very much wants to challenge them on how far they're willing to go to support it. And I I found that to be to be very interesting. Um, as, you know, con- connecting with it's one thing, but it, you know, just admiring the the way Scorsese's trying to you know challenge his own self, where he's you know had a lot of films that deal with 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 his thoughts on religion and what have you, and this is just another one of those where it it really finds him in what is you know kind of current places and seeing how this would play out. And examining that through film, which I found fascinating. And as you said, as I've said, Abe, is that I also like how much of a challenge this film seems like it was to make. It's not Scorsese just resting on things that he's used to doing in his films. It's him stripping away a lot of what he's known for as far as his films go, aside from a few elements like narration and some of the camera shots or what have you. And Mm -hmm. doing... Much like Hugo, where it's like he's never made a giant 3D spectacle before, but here he goes making one of the best ones ever made. And here he. Giant 3D spectacle family movie. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's not something I know Scorsese for, but there he goes doing it and doing it with a plum. Here, he's making like a Bergman film, essentially. Like he's doing like, he's doing something that's deeply cinematic that feels very much different from, you know, it's it's a far stretch from Wolf of Wall Street, his last film, which feels very much like a typical Scorsese movie. This one just feels like something completely out there. And I love that. I love that he's, you know, he's, what is he, like, 80s? How old is he? Yeah, he's uh, 73, 74, 70, I think. 73, yeah, so is he, you know, he's up there as far as directors go, and he's still trying new things. He's going going for it. And, yeah, the film aesthetically is pretty fantastic. I mean, there's great shots of, I don't believe they filmed, they filmed in... Um, Taiwan, I, I want to say. I, well, yeah, I believe it's like Taiwan, yeah. But, um, you know, the, the look of the film is pretty spectacular. There's a great amount, you know, you see characters being tortured in some ways where... It's not as that it's graphic, but it's very, it it's heavy to watch, and and it's presented very cinematically in a way that I I you know was I could 
you could really feel what the characters are going for. And yeah, just all of it, as far as a, direct, a directed film goes, is very impressive. And yeah. so, yeah, just a lot of that. I just thought it's a film that has stuck with me. And if I if I had been able to see it again or, you know, really had the time, you know, amidst the all the other films I'm trying to see toward, before that end of the year, it, you know, might have placed even higher when it came down to, like, top ten time. But I think yeah. there's just a lot of great stuff here. That, that... I certainly want to get back to the point that Maxwell was talking about. Um, you know, Maxwell, you brought up the, the, uh, the notion that it's interesting that these folks are going around and they're spreading their religion, but uh, you kind of feel conflicted with that. And I'm glad that the film kind of addresses that. But uh, I kind of wish that they would talk about it a little bit more because Japan historically has been an actually student's country and until like Commodore Perry came through uh, and kind of opened it up a little bit to the West. But, yeah, that's kind of an interesting concept of, you know, we we didn't want anybody to come through and uh, tell us how to live our lives. We've been living it for generations like this, and we are such a, uh, a proud society that – you don't understand you're you're invading our territory kind of thing and that's where it, it got interesting with the inquisitor of just their discussions about how this person is you know an ugly wife or a barren wife or i mean those are terms used in the movie but i kind of was hoping for a little bit more of that discussion and surely mason brings a little bit more to it what did you guys think of of that aspect and uh I, I kind of just want Maxwell to speak more to it, to flesh it out of, of the conflict that he had with it. Gosh, I mean, you know, I don't want to repeat everything I said prior, but, uh, and I'm, I speak from this perspective just because it's my perspective, you know, Judaism is one of the few religions that doesn't advocate for proselytizing. Yeah. And I found parallels with that, with Japan at this time in the way that they operated. And so the word that came to mind is selfish. You know, it struck me as selfish for these priests to go into a country that, you know, was very uh, content in the for the most part in the way that they were operating in their own identity as Japanese people and in their own way that they have a relationship with God to now come in and say, well, yes, but you need to do it this way and you need to recognize Christ as a savior and all of this sort of stuff that struck me as unnecessary. It's like what I love about Judaism is that we feel that there are many ways in which one can have a relationship with God and you don't need to follow any specific set of, of uh, ideals and approaches. You don't need to do it the way we do it. You can do it the way you do it and have your relationship with God and still be fine. And so to go through this struggle that they did, and certainly I connected on one level in a struggle with faith, uh, particularly in the latter section of the film, without giving too much away, wherein certain things start to break down uh, and question more. Because I think if you don't struggle with faith, then you're maybe not doing religion right, because there's so much out there that's unknown that every day is a new question. Every day is a new uh, discovery. And every day... You know, I personally contemplate my existence and God's existence in the way that's all tied together and the way the world works. But I think that's what. I think that's what Scorsese is going for too. Though. I think I, what you're what you're asking. I I I do think there's a lot of presentation of how of how what the struggle is and how how um these how how Japanese society differs and what the what the goal of these priests are i think i i think there's a lot i think there's a good amount of discussion that deals with that obviously it's a film that's 
you know, its lead character is Andrew Garfield's character, so it can only go a certain amount of, especially in a film that's already this length. Um, but I, I don't feel like I was it was short sighted in kind of pre- properly presenting what the, what the Japanese people believe. Um, they I, I wouldn't even call them kind of antagonists. There's certainly a Garfield's character com- becomes captured at one point, and so it, right. beca- it, it there's a there's a notion for the interpreter and the um, the inquisitor to kind of do what they need to do to bring out certain to to you know challenge uh, Rodriguez's character on how he's going to proceed from here or whatnot, and you know bringing other characters into the fold as well, and making you know questioning what, if his faith is strong enough where he'd let these other people suffer and these kind of things. But I, but but moving away from just you know the 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 more physical struggle aspect, just the, the thematic discussions that they have, I do think there's a lot of depth there, which I think could be examined with you know further further watches of this movie to really delve into those conversations that they specifically have. But I yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say the movie shies away from presenting both sides in their own manner, especially when Liam Neeson comes in, who's this kind of yeah, it's I, almost I a wild card there. aspect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I agree with you that it doesn't shy away from it, but it comes a little bit later, and that's no knock to that's no knock to the movie. It's just the way that, oh, that yeah, I, I mean, written, right? It's the way um, it's written, but I think it, it comes later yeah. because you have to really buy into oh, what Rodriguez is presenting yeah. and why you're and, supposed to you know kind of go along right with yeah where right. he is and, and i but yeah. i don't and i don't think the movie tries to shortcut it either as far as mm. what maxwell you're saying where there is a there's a kind of as i said in the opening synopsis there's an underestimation of what he's expecting to believe and that he thinks he can come in and just do what he needs to do and get out of there and what have you but right. he, he, the movie gives you a long time to realize that this is a challenge and yeah, it's, a, it's a it's a challenge it should be a challenge it shouldn't Which, be easy like, and it, I certainly like that personal struggle aspect of it, right? So Andrew Garfield's character, Rodriguez, he comes in, and like what you had noted, he he thinks that he's just going to go find Father Ferrer, but along the way, he he basically encounters all this uh, hostility, and he also encounters all this like pain and suffering, and so he's challenged himself, which is why I think that it's an interesting element of of what happens later in the movie, in the third act, um, with he and the interpreter. I, I it certainly is a personal journey for. For you as the viewer to go along with this and see Rodriguez, I guess all my question was answered by both of you guys very well. Uh, but yeah, it was just more of I, I kind of uh, wanted them to speak more about uh, Japan as why it, it's not that Japan was uh, super antagonistic toward these people. Yes, they were to some degree, but it's it's because, again, they they're an isolationist country. They didn't want to be. Uh, taken over or or they viewed this as something that was foreign to them i, I guess it, it's just more of um when he's having the when Rodriguez is having the question and answer session with the inquisitor there's this really interesting point of like uh actually maybe it's with liam neeson but it's like hey you know they have their god too and it's it's right there they, they look very similar it's hard to get you know, yeah it, <laughs> <laughs> but basically it's like hey you know you have to understand that from our perspective uh we we already have this religion. Like, it's the same thing. You don't understand. Uh, it is with Liam Neeson. It's like, hey, you know, there's actually a lot of, uh, there's a lot, of, what is the word he uses? There's a lot of, um, like, knowledge or something here that we just have to open our eyes to. I, and, yeah, go ahead, Maxwell. Yeah, I think that's probably my favorite uh, scene in the film. And I think it's the scene that best encompasses what the film is trying to achieve uh, when you know, Andrew Garfield's character finally has that long conversation with Liam Neeson and they're at that, uh, that, that beautiful house. And that sort of, I think, achieves the piece that Scorsese was going for. What's interesting to me, and I think you were alluding to this a little bit, Abe, is that 
if you approach the film in one way, you could potentially, I don't know, argue, but comment that the balance or the structure of the film is not weighted evenly. So it spends so much time in the first two thirds showing Garfield's plight. And then it's not until the last third that you really sort of see the opposite angle of what's going on. Yeah, that could be it too. And I I think that that actually might be it. Um, But again, I do recognize that it's the film that's for Rodriguez and Garupe. Uh, So I I certainly, I have to take the film as it comes. You know what I mean? Like I can't be pressing in and being like, oh, I want to see evenly 50-50. I understand that. Oh yeah. I also think it's less about someone being right or wrong. It's just more about, no. I mean, obviously, you have no, 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 characters. So it, it, it's, there is no right or wrong. Exactly. It's more, it's yeah. more about what Garfield's, you know, Rodriguez's overall, like, the, the journey he has to go through and to, right. to well, get to a point that he eventually gets to, which is, you know, it's not necessarily the preferred way to have well, reached a, a, and where, I, where, I think where there's he ends up. Another important thing to note here is that, you know, and I think this came up a lot with The Wolf of Wall Street, probably more so than it has with this. And that is, you can't ignore the fact that just because Scorsese is working with these lead characters who are behaving in a certain way, it doesn't mean that he or the film itself is endorsing these actions. Right. Right. It's not like Wolf of Wall Street is saying that Jordan Belfort and all of these Wall Street guys who acted so crazily were doing the right thing. If anything, it's just allowing you as the audience to decide what you think it's not rooting for them these characters are not heroes nor are they villains they're just that's, that's something that scorsese's career i think it's a good yeah, right. just given hu- the... they, they have a great amount of humanity and they go through and make their choices and, and you have to as an audience member really work to decide you know your thoughts and how that's carried out and that's one of the great things that's always been with scorsese he doesn't yeah. present black and whites and speaking of Wall Street, I mean, the, the example that I can think of is uh, at the end, Kyle Chandler's on the train and he's thinking about he he, he still has to take the train. And he's thinking about what Jordan Belfort told told him when he's on the yacht. So anyway, uh, I agree with you that there's a lot of uh, character, individual character assessment that you have to do for Scorsese films that really lends itself to make you way more aware of, of uh, the movie and what he's presenting here. So, again, kudos and, to Martin. And all of that is why I I noted that I want to watch it again and why I think, despite me not necessarily connecting with it on the whole, I do think it's a legitimate work of art because art, the best art challenges what you believe in and what you think and really makes you assess both the work itself and your relation to the work. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. It's not just something you're watching and, you know, you have fun and then you forget about it five minutes later. I want to also highlight the, the, you know, there are, the Japanese characters that do embrace the religion, and I do think they're quite well acted. One of them is yeah. the, uh, the character Mokichi, who's like the kind of the village leader of the first area that they uh, they kind of they they inhabit. Right. Um, who I you know it's it's neat to hear you know because there's a lot of um, with uh, Rodriguez and Garpe as they when they first enter into Japan, there's a they have a lot of moments where they get to you know be priests and do the work of God that they that they you know have had planned to do, and they get to talk to these people that have that have that have come to uh you know in the in, into their belief system and they and they you know describe their plights or they describe the the kind of praise they have and everything and it's it's neat to see how that works out especially with the given the 
given what happens to uh, the villages that they are a part of, there's some interesting right. things there. And there's also the character of Kikijiro, who is the sole source of comedic relief in this film. Um, a, a character who wants to, you know, wants to believe in Christ and comes up to uh, to Rodriguez several times in a way where because of how often we see him and the position that we see him in, it becomes somewhat humorous in a dark sort of way because it's right. he he's had all you know, he has had all some horrible tragedies happen to him, but he's also a coward. And it's for a movie like this that, you know, has very little room to do just to stray off the path, it was it's it was nice to see Scorsese find a way him and his I assume his writer, um was it Justin Cooks? Jake Jay Cox. Uh, the way they were able to construct a screenplay that can, you know, that can fit in some moments like this that that gives sure. you a slight breath, however slight that might be. Yeah, uh, but I, I also think they're just, I think they're just well acted characters as well. Yeah, I, I definitely want to praise all the actors in this movie. I mean, again, this is nobody is giving a bad performance. Like even all and, the and the it's not extras. this is not an easy movie to make. Like even no, the one these characters I mean, go, like you know Adam Driver looks you know like like a like a skeleton. Yeah, yeah both these guys movie. look super emaciated. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it like you can definitely feel that they had a physical physical transformation. You can actually see it right. Uh, but I, I do want to uh, shout out that. Uh, Kichiro, the character of uh, Kichijiro, uh, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily characterize him as a coward. I, you know, he says that himself in the movie, but I would, I would definitely use the term weak, um, because again, well, yeah, he, weak, weak spirited. I mean. Yeah, and what I loved about him is that he's basically this. He's a reminder to uh, Andrew Garfield's character that hey, you know, this is a challenge all the time, and uh, there's actually a moment of uh, narration which Andrew Garfield's like, you know. I don't want to do this, but this guy is not a bad guy. Like he's not a bad guy internally, so I have to forgive him of his sin, which again shows the conflict. Uh, but on the whole, I, I definitely appreciated that uh, Mark Scorsese casted Japanese actors and actresses for this, uh, and that uh, he had them work to his level. You know what I mean? So I'm glad that everybody was able to give a performance that was no nothing took away from it when I'm wa- when I'm watching it nobody is like giving an off face or there's not one character that uh, says something that is seemingly lackadaisical in, in enunciation. So everybody's just giving it their all, which really adds to you not viewing them as actors per se and kind of just going with the story. So thank you, Martin, for doing that because well, yeah, that really helps gotta, he, you into the movie. If he was going to cast an Englishman, two Irishmen, and a Martian or whatever Adam Driver is. I mean, it's nice that he, instead, you know, instead of actual Portuguese actors, it's nice that he well, um, you know, was able to counter know, that with a lot of Japanese people. It is interesting to note who the original cast of the film was intended to be. Yeah, yeah, Benicio Del Toro, Gal Garcia Bernal, and Daniel Day-Lewis, right? It's interesting. Which, wow. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying it would be better or worse, but it certainly would have had a different feel to it. Yeah, so it's nice to see, you know, obviously Liam Neeson and Karen Hines for the small role that he has. They're, you know, they're more experienced actors, but Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver, you know, th- those parts could, yeah, like we just said, they could have been played by Del Toro and Bernal, which, you know, those those are also great actors, but, you know, seeing these young guys do such great jobs um, in this yeah. movie, particularly Adam, Andrew Garfield for, right. you know, the, ostensibly the lead character, there's a, you know, there's a lot of commitment and work that has to be done to play a role that convincingly and that, you know, with the, the physical d- dedication, what have you, and they do terrific work here. Yeah, yeah Starfield, you know, with this and Hacksaw Ridge, which have certain thematic similarities as well, had a very uh, impressive year. Uh, I didn't see Hacksaw Ridge, but I've heard that he's it's a it's a uh, good movie and he's pretty good in it. 
So yeah, he he's very good in it. Okay, I'll have to um, uh, catch that on VOD or something like that. Yeah, I mean the last thing I'd say is Aaron, you mentioned I think a little earlier about how it's very, it's a very different film for Scorsese, Scorsese, and certainly over the last fifteen years or so, um, this seems like an outlier. But I do think when it's on home video, it will make a fascinating triple feature with The Last Temptation of Christ and Kundun. Kundun. Mm. Certainly, uh, this is uh, an area that Scorsese has visited before. Um, obviously, religion plays a big impact in his life and Catholicism. Right. And, you know, I think watching those three together would make a fascinating thematic trilogy and how this filmmaker has grappled with Christ and religion as he matured over his career. And I, I certainly hope there's some special features on you know, the eventual Blu-ray of this to kind of delve further into his process of making a film like this and what he has to say about it. I've, I've certainly wanted, I've been enjoying reading the various interviews he's given as he's gone on, you know, press for the movie because, mm-hmm. you know, it deals with, it's not a standard like, yeah, we had a lot of fun making this one. Like, it's, you know, it's a, it's a personal <laughs> movie for him. So it's, right. uh, Andrew Goffman and I went drinking every night. It was great. Reviews? Like, what? Sorry? Does he usually do his own uh, commentary on the Blu-ray reviews? Uh, he sometimes does commentaries. He hasn't okay. done one for a while but um, okay just curious especially if this got like a criterion release i could you know see that happening but uh okay but he's he, he tends to be fairly open about his movies it's just yeah it's a matter of whether or not he he can go do the special he is if he, if he bothers to want to do special features he's right he, he can sometimes be more like spielberg where he doesn't really care that much or he can sometimes be like david fincher and go all into it so <laughs> certainly one might think that because of the passion project nature of this He'd be more inclined to do the special features for this versus some other films. At the same time, it could be like, well, the film speaks for itself, so I don't want to. So I, you know, it's also hard to... very possible. Yeah, you know, I'm hard. always I'm always of two minds. There are certain films where the directors go all in with documentaries and commentaries, and while it's fascinating to listen to on one level, on the other level, I'm like, well, you've taken away some of the mystery, which I felt made it so good to begin with. So. Mm. That's always been Spielberg's logic. Like he is very hesitant to do to delve. He never he's never done a commentary, and he's he's right. very hesitant to delve into his. Oh, he his didn't want to tell everybody that that Tyrannosaurus Rex was a metaphor for life. <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna get you while you're in the toilet. <laughs> well, if you look at it this way, <clears throat> it's not like authors of novels write like corresponding annotated notes right. on everything they write. You know, it's read it and you digest it, and then it comes between you and the art. Anyways, I'm yeah. Oh, no, that's a good point. Sure. Yeah. Going on a tangent here now. Well, with that said, uh, Silence, which is, uh, you know, it's spread wider now. It's in almost a thousand theaters around the uh, around the country, at least. Um, where, where where would you say people should go and see this movie? I mean, I certainly uh, think... Go ahead. No, 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 please. Okay, uh, you know, I think it should be seen in a theater. Um, despite, you know, it may seem like I'm, I said some negative things toward it. That's certainly not the case. I just struggled with it. And it's a beautiful film. And I think the cinema is the best place to have uh, a relationship with this film because despite people maybe talking or on the phones, I still think you can have the least distractions in a theater where it's dark and it's just you and the screen. Yeah, I definitely uh, almost 100% agree with Maxwell there, which is to say that uh, while I had some issues with it and some struggles with it myself, the direction and the way that the movie has been made, uh, I certainly think that the theater is the best place to see it especially for some of these like quick Im- images of, of Christ and whatever else, but also the sound in the theater is probably going to really help with uh, the way that Scorsese intends it to be. Yeah, I, I for sure agree because of the being un- encumbered by 
unencumbered by you know outside distractions or what have you, the theater would be the best place. I mean, I recommend the film because I really enjoy the film as well. I mean, I think it's a terrific movie, but it's certainly one where the benefit of the cinema is there because you won't you know be distracted by it. because it's a long and deliberately paced movie. It, it it's not an easy it wouldn't be as easy a sit at home where you can pause it and what have you you can't embrace the experience in the same way you can in the cinema so it'd be you know a, a more preferred way to see it unless you like mark hoban says gets locked in when he watches a movie <laughs> so, <laughs> you know uh living with two dogs it's almost impossible to be locked in <laughs> unless you put on the secret life of pets right that's you know they're 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 all but, like, um, speaking their language living, they like hotel for dogs a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. You leave a mint on their cushion before you start the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. With all I just, I just want to thank you um, in particular for having me on to talk about this film because um, I have been grappling with it. And so having a forum to talk about it with other people has been very uh, enlightening. So thank you. For sure. Great. Here's an right. e-hug for you, Maxwell. You can't. <laughs> I hope you can feel it. I'm, I'm patting right. myself on the back hoping that you can feel it. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So that was our review for Silence. As I said, it's uh, in theaters, war theaters now for sure. And uh, now let's move on to our sponsor real quick. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Why Audible? Why? 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 (laughs) I'll tell you why. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or any kind of MP3 device. Additionally, Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook download of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash podcast. I should have looked this up first, but you can probably try to find Silence, the book that the film is based on. Find it on there, maybe, or anything maybe. else. <laughs> or anything else. You can choose one of those books to download for free and start listening. It's just that easy. You go to audibletrial.com slash podcast. If you don't like the service, you get to get rid of it, but you get to keep that book that you download for free for free. So be a winner. And read. Or listen at audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. Right. And yes, Silence by Sushaku Endo is available on audible.com. Thank you for checking that out. There you go. Thank you, Maxwell. There you go. My pleasure. Boom. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's move into Out Now Feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is, of course, where we go over our various qu- questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, where we ask a number of questions for you listeners, and you were able to provide us answers. And then you also asked us questions, which we will be able to answer on this show. So I will start this one off, and uh, Maxwell, of course, feel free to chime in when you want to as well. Okay. Um, what is your favorite Martin Scorsese film? Brad writes, Goodfellas really is number one, but I loved Hugo and its illustration of reverence for film history. It's a terrific love letter to the beginning of cinema. Jay writes, Goodfellas is one the one I've seen the most, but After Hours is my favorite that I've only seen once and I can't wait to see again. And Manish writes, I love The Aviator, its painstaking recreation of Technicolor, the performances, and editing. A lot of good picks right there. Oh, that's a lot of good picks. Yeah. No, I, I would add Taxi Driver uh, yeah. for myself. Um, certainly, uh, as I've gotten older and living in New York, not saying that I am, <laughs> uh, you know, have any violent tendencies, but I certainly strongly can relate to some of the Albert loneliness. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's just a, it's a very lonely film, and I just connect with it on a certain level, um, and I think it speaks a lot towards the feelings of the '70s. But he's made so many great films that it's you know like picking which which of these roses is the best. Correct. Yeah. This is yeah, the that's kind how of, I feel. Like we, you know, we've done a lot of. We've done the um, during October we did some horror um, focused director spotlights where we talked about yeah. like John Carpenter and uh, Guillermo del Toro. It'd be great to do a Martin Scorsese themed episode because there's certainly a, and that'd probably be more than one episode just because there's so much to cover. 
Uh, well, he's born in November, so we'll have to wait till next November, <laughs> or this coming November. <laughs> but no, yeah, there's like Goodfellas. That's probably the one I that I'd agree is probably the one I've watched the most. But yeah, like um, yeah, Ra- Raging Bull is uh, is pretty amazing for all reasons. Taxi Driver House yeah. is pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I, I got to review the, the there's a new uh, 40th anniversary Blu-ray release of uh, of Taxi Driver, so I got to uh, go through all those features and stuff and everything, and it's just so much to take in. I'm a huge fan of Mean Streets. I think Mean Streets is a terrific movie, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Harvey Keitel and you know Young De Niro they're both really great in that film. Yeah. And, and I always, and obviously we've talked a lot about Hugo over the years on this podcast, Dave. We both love Hugo like, I always, immensely. I, I have a Hugo poster hanging on my wall by nice. uh, folks over at Mondo. Is it the one? Oh, oh, oh the nice. Mondo one. Okay. Is that the one where they're like looking out at the uh, from the clock? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That nice. was that was a phone wallpaper once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I I I really like shouting out bringing out the dead with uh, Nicholas Cage. Too. With Nicholas Cage, it's yeah. like a spiritual sequel to Taxi Driver in some ways. So. I like you know Casino makes a fascinating counterpoint to Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Um, I particularly love the House of the Rising Sun sequence. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one could argue that there's no better filmmaker who, uh, who combines their imagery with use of pop music. For sure, yes. That is true. Yeah. yeah, there's some that challenge him. You know, I think of like Tarantino or uh, Tarantino, Wes Anderson. But, uh, sure. but yeah, Scorsese. Scorsese know. was the OG in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, wait, are you, are you guys from Rhode Island? And then all of a sudden, pop music kicking. Anyway. <laughs> uh, next question we ask everybody what is your favorite film set in japan michael writes the last samurai philip has whisper of the heart jason writes uh, tokyo story and departures shalem has akira and the karate kid or i'm sorry karate kid because that karate kid i think is is the remake one yeah uh, was set in japan so yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless we're talking uh, karate kid part one's two in china though. oh yeah no the remake yeah so it's it must be the, karate the remake kid part is, two. is kung fu <laughs> it, yeah but in any case i guess uh, it has to be part two then right because that's the only one in japan could be anyway uh lastly manisha is kind of a cliche but lost in translation i would um i mean i guess i'd throw Sam- seven samurai out there I said, yeah i, I would add that so as well. it's like you know yeah, I think uh, for me, Tokyo Story and Lost in Translation stand out um, for you know obviously different reasons. But... The Wolverine, obviously, I mean that's another one. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's a Just good movie. Japan. It's <laughs> a very good movie. <laughs> he's in the he's in the Hiroshima blast, Abe. He, he survived it. That's right. He saves that guy. Have, saves um, that guy. have either of you ever been to Japan? Yeah, I have not. Oh wow. Yeah, it's, it's um it's been sort of number one on my list of places to visit for 15, 16 years now, and I haven't made it yet, but I hope to someday. Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift just came to mind, also. But um, all right. Hey man, that movie re-energized the franchise. Sure did. It. <laughs> anyway. It brought Han Solo to the world. So. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah, true. What are your favorite films about a character who befriends some kind of creature? Uh, Manish writes Peach Dragon recently. And that's all we got. We didn't get nearly enough answers to this question. Yeah. I would add uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, but technically that cat is, is hers when she becomes a, a witch. So I would basically say uh, the Studio Ghibli catalog in that regard then. Oh, yes. Definitely. Um, E.T. comes to mind, uh, certainly. Mac and me. <laughs> God. Sure. <laughs> Paul Rudd, it's all Paul Rudd's fault. I, I, 
I, I wish there were, there was, I saw the founder with Michael Keaton and I wish there was a Mac and me reference in there somewhere. I was really hoping for one, but, um, didn't, uh, didn't come to fruition. I, I used to have Mac and me on VHS tape. I did that too. I got from a McDonald's, I believe. I did not. I, I, but I, I had it. That's the only one I know it because I had Mac and me on VHS. <laughs> yep. And I believe the poster's uh, like the adult, like holding the child, like over his shoulders or something like that. They like, not the child, the young, the younger, the Mac. Or whatever. <laughs> the Mac. That's a that's a weird movie. By the way, Mac and me. That is a strange movie. Future commentary, right there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'd also add to this question: uh, uh, Monsters Inc. There you go. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a great choice. Um, our next question we have is: uh, What are some films you really enjoyed about characters or groups who are persecuted in some way? Uh, Dennis writes, after an unfortunate incident at school, I recently watched 42 with my son because I didn't know how to explain what racism was or mm-hmm. how to, you know, to him. That's a, I, I don't know how personal that would be, but I'm, I'm interested to hear more about this story. I know, Dennis. Yeah. Um, Adam writes Star Wars. And uh, oh. Manish writes Carol. They just wanted to be together. Beautiful, oh. li- beautiful looking film. That Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler, friend of the show. Second friend of the show. Uh, next question we ask everybody, what are some films that you would say challenged you mentally? You know, they, they kind of got you thinking. Brad writes in a Requiem for a Dream. I thoroughly loved it, and I'm not likely to watch it again. I agree with him there. I'm not, like, not watching it again. Uh, Manish says, the movie uh, Primer gave me such a headache and then a migraine as I was reading about it. <laughs> and lastly, John writes, Mulholland Drive. I loved it. Mm. That's a good answer from Manish. Primer is uh, it's a really well-thought-out movie and yeah. had me thinking. I would say, I mean, I would say that even more about Upstream Color, um, his second, yeah. his second, second film, one. which is one yeah. that I've I've grown to like a lot more since seeing I've seen it a couple times. I haven't now. seen it yet, but I should catch it. it, it, it well worth it. watching. It was on okay. Netflix last time I checked, but that was a while ago. At this point, it might still yeah. be. But, uh, David Lynch's work is certainly a good uh, point for that question. Uh, lots of stuff, you know, Blue Velvet, Mulholland Drive, even Twin Peaks. It really challenges your perceptions and makes you grapple with reality within the film it, itself. Very interesting. I, you know, I'm not a huge Lynch fan, but I have been rewatching um, Twin Peaks to because I know the the upcoming new season is sure. coming soon, so I've, I'm like revisiting it and I haven't watched it in ages. Um, I love Twin Peaks, and it's I I think I like his like it's because it's more quote unquote grounded than something like Mulholland Drive to an extent, and I and I because I really like Blue Velvet, and I also like The Elephant Man. That's a different story though, because um, mm-hmm. it's remarkably different from like a Razorhead or something like that. But it's I guess that kind, his kind, like when he approaches that level of reality, I can get into it more. I guess because it's a very watchable show. It has some really weird quirks to it, which is, you know, that's Lynch in a nutshell, right there. But um, I, I certainly appreciate what he brings cinematically to the film world, as opposed to you know the same old, same old. I also had uh, a lot of Charlie Kaufman movies. Yeah. <laughs> so next to Keep New York is one that I'd certainly put as an answer for that. I haven't uh, seen that one yet. Yeah. That's, oh, a, that's it's, that's, it's tremendous. Yeah. I can't even yeah. pronounce the title. Synecdoche, New York. Is it Synec- not Schenectady? No, it's the, no, the, ac- the actual city is named Schenectady, right? Oh. But the because the, the, there's a term called Schenectady. Yeah. Uh, it's a pun. Okay. That's what his title is. It's a very elaborate gotcha. pun. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Classic Kaufman. Yeah. So um, that term would be like you know if you say all hands on deck. Yeah. Or if you refer to a car as my wheels. Yeah. It's when you use one piece of something to represent the whole. Oh. Okay. So you don't really just want the hands on deck. You want your whole crew on deck and you want your whole car. So that's what a synecdoche is. Gotcha. And okay. The, so it's not, very much it's plays not, into that. In a ver- there's, there's a lot of things going on in that movie. But, it's um, dense. Yeah. I'll there are it. layers. It's like an onion. You keep peeling it back and you try the people you get. <laughs> yeah. It's not like a parfait. It's a, it's a, it's a no. 
And now we're moving to questions that were asked uh, from you guys, the listeners, to us, uh, for everybody on the panel today. Manish asks, what was your oh damn move? Uh, I'm sorry. Manish asks, what was your oh damn movie moment from 2016? Like a well-executed twist or an outstanding scene? That's a good question, Manish. I mean, there's some shots in La La Land that were certainly like, wow, that was pretty spectacular. I, I keep pointing to like the, the pool shot um, in La La, right. La Land. Um, other... Oh, I, I have an answer. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I don't want to give it away, but let's just say the flashback in Manchester by the Sea mm-hmm. when he's at the police station yeah. and sort of discover what happened. That's kind of what and I was thinking too. Knocked yeah. me off my my. I mean, metaphorically off my feet. It was uh, yeah such an impact. There's a couple moments in the Nice Guys where because. Shane Black likes to go against the grain. It presents a kind of oh, <laughs> kind of moments which uh, I can get yeah. behind. Uh, in the mermaids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are you soaking wet? <laughs> Anything from like any horror movies from 2016? Uh, um. Hmm. Well, okay. The the very end of the invitation, which again I think has the, one of the best. Is that, is that shots. the one with uh, Jason Bateman? No, that's the, no. I, I no. mentioned that I mentioned that the gift would be a good double oh, the feature gift. with the invitation. The gift. No, the okay. invitation with um, not Tom Hardy, Logan Marshall Green. Um, okay. There's a there's an ending shot in that movie that certainly gives me an oh damn kind of moment. Yeah. So, I'm not sure if it's an oh oh damn moment, but um, in the surprisingly enjoyable lights out, there's a gag with car headlights that I thought was perfectly executed. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It I, gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. I'm not even kidding. I'm getting goosebumps right now. Lights like, out was good. I really like it's, well, yeah, it. Was, it, yeah. It, it's not perfect, but I mean, for what for that premise to stretch that out into a feature, there's some good like dramatic writing in that movie that I really and you know, in addition to the basic premise of Lights Out, I think there's some good stuff. Yeah, and if we're talking about horror, a film I didn't like but definitely had an oh damn moment. Uh, was don't breathe. Oh yeah, that has. Yeah. I was like, that's, oh damn, this man totally lost me. Was how I perceived it. I know people disagree. But... I guess yeah. when when we when Ten Cloverfield Lane has a has a couple moments, but there's one. Well, I guess the opening, the when the titles start coming up, that's a no damn because it's like, oh okay, <laughs> the movie's starting officially now apparently. But also when we go from. We lose a character at one point. That's a big like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That happened. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I um I was happy that Dan Trachtenberg got a DJ nomination for that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Got, oh, did he? Yeah, best uh, new or like best he's, first feature. Yeah. Best first feature director wow. nomination. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, that was feedback. 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 Let's uh let's what uh what time is it now? Is I actually think it might be time for some games here, Aaron. That was actually the uh, the theme that plays when Adam Driver is swimming out to the boat in uh, in uh, silence. Yeah, that's what he that's what he was humming all the time. <laughs> to keep him sane, yeah. Guys, I have yes. a game for you. Okay. It is called Silence of the Stars. Silence mm-hmm. of the Stars. Hmm. I wonder what this is about. Basically, I found, and this took a little doing, <laughs> but I have a list of characters and films that never say a word. And I'm going to describe these characters to you, and you have to name the character I'm referring to. This that shouldn't be hard. You know, sometimes it's hard to name the character name. That shouldn't be too hard necessarily uh-huh. if you know what I'm talking about, um, or the actor involved. Um, okay. And you know the film, obviously. Um, so these are characters that had no lines in their movies, 
Okay. And buzz in with your name. Uh, you know, say like Maxwell this and to mm. make an answer. So you guys ready? Yes, let's try this out. Okay. The first one. He's a big fan of this holiday, especially when it comes to hanging out with babysitters. Maxwell. Maxwell. Michael Myers, Halloween. Mi- Michael Myers ah! is the correct answer. <laughs> For whatever reason, I was thinking of Vin Diesel in The Sitter. Or, or what? <laughs> I was because like, Vin, that's Vin Diesel yes, does not talk in his movies. In my mind. <laughs> yeah, but he, he, he has dialogue in that. In Vin those, Diesel, in that always quiet. <laughs> I, know, I knew that wasn't the right answer. I don't know why my brain went there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's the next one. All right. This devout Catholic is always ready for a human meal or a fight. He also doesn't clip his nails. Uh, this devout Catholic is always ready for a human meal or a fight. He also doesn't clip his nails. The answer was Kevin from Sin City, played by Elijah Wood. Uh, oh, uh, I, for some reason, my mind went towards uh, a Hannibal Lecter franchise. But yeah, here's the next. You don't know where my mind went. <laughs> anyway, here's the next one. This character came back from the future to take on three angels in elaborate fights. This character came back from the future to take on three angels in elaborate fights. Abe. Yep. Cable? What? Cable? What movie was Cable in? X-Men Apocalypse. There was no Cable in X-Men Apocalypse. God damn it! Abe. (laughs) Or Maxwell can steal... (laughs) I don't know. The answer is Crispin Glover as the Thin Man in Charlie's Angels. I knew that. Mm-hmm. I didn't nope. know that. <laughs> Next one. This tall, quiet butler is happy to serve Gomez, Morticia, and the gang. Maxwell. Maxwell? <laughs> Lurch in the Adams family. That is Adams. correct. I mean, he, he groans from time to time. It's not talking. <laughs> the next one. He has three brothers who do the talking for him. One especially has plenty of quips, but this character is more musical. Maxwell. Yeah? Harpo Marx. Harpo Marx is the correct answer. He uses a whistle. (laughs) Yep, sometimes. (laughs) Here's the next one. He's a caddy, a driver, a servant, and great with his deadly hat. Maxwell. Maxwell? Odd job? Odd job is the correct answer. Maxwell running away here. He's just quick to the buzzer. My buzzer's not working. Buzz Momentum is in my favor. <laughs> Here's the next one. He's a real American hero, even if he's a ninja dressed in black battling other ninjas. Oh, Abe. Abe? I hope I get this right. It's Snake Eyes? Snake Eyes is the correct answer. Yes! <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, that's the Nicolas Cage movie. That's really bad. Here's the next one. This loyal dog has gotten into many close shaves. Uh, Abe. Abe? Gromit. Gromit is the correct answer. That's a, that's a clever uh, question you had there. I yeah. went for it. Here's the next one. He doesn't have anything to say, but he has many, many types of kills. Mm-hmm. Hint, yesterday. John Lennon? <laughs> <laughs> what was the clue again, I'm sorry? He doesn't have anything to say, but he has many, many kills. Types of kills. Yesterday? Well, look at your calendar. All my troubles were so... The answer is Maxwell, uh, Jason Voorhees. Jason Voorhees is correct. Friday the 13th series. And just as an aside, since we've started this, it is now snowing in New York. (laughs) 
All right. Oh, sweet. Here's the last one. When he gets brought out by Zed, you better believe this is not the party you want to be a part of. Abe. Abe? Maxwell. Uh. Gimp. The Gimp is the correct answer. The Gimp! Zed's dead, baby. Just farted the movie. Yeah, I watched that when I was like in seventh grade. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> I will say, Maxwell, you were able to sneak out the win in this game. Congratulations. Sir. Terrific effort from Abe um, at the end there. Maxwell, you were able to win. Um, thank you much. That's it. I'd like to thank my publicist and <laughs> and your agent and your manager. They're all they're all named Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they're all named Barry. <laughs> What's that from? Isn't that like a line from Ocean's movie? Eleven? Yeah. <laughs> it's like Tover, Tover. In there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I did have a bonus question, which I want to ask anyway because I think it's kind of yeah. fun. Um, Scorsese's box office. What what do you think is his highest domestic box office movie? Highest domestic? Yeah. All time? Just for inflation? No inflation. Oh, no inflation. The Departed. Uh, the Departed is actually correct. Oh. That, that, what, what do you, yes. And I will say all, you know, all all of his Leo movies are his highest grossing. What do you think is his highest grossing without Leo? Without Leo? Not The Departed? Oh, wait, no, Leo's in Leo. I would <laughs> say either Hugo or Goodfellas. It's uh, Cape Fear, actually. Really? Yeah. I guess that was more of like a Main Street effort for him. Uh, yeah, Kate, you know, you... it's De Niro and, and Scorsese just like, let's make a movie. <laughs> like, let's make a remake of Kate Fear. Why not? You know, it was it was their Shutter Island. Yeah. Yeah. I always get that confused with Fear, the Mark Wahlberg movie. I have to say, I would love to see Scorsese do a film with De Niro and DiCaprio. I think the universe would explode. <laughs> I'm, I mean, it's like any worse off than we already are, so. Yeah. <laughs> Did they, they have, what, Marvin's Room, right? That's the film with them. It's not Scorsese. The, the one by Drake? Yeah. Okay. Uh, world, do you know their worldwide, his worldwide greatest uh, hit, by the way? Worldwide? Yeah. Scorsese? Yeah. Uh, Hugo? It, Hugo didn't do that well. Uh, one thing, like, you keep mentioning well, I was thinking maybe worldwide. I don't know. Uh, Wolf of Wall um, Street is a. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. That, the Leo, he, he brings the bucks. Yeah, man. Uh, Academy Award winner Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, we can say that now. That's a thing. He slept in a horse. <laughs> he slept. He ate real raw bison liver. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that anyway. was games. That was Silence of the Stars. Thank you for that. That was great. Yeah, that was it. very well done. Thank you. Let's uh, let's move, let's uh, let's move on now to Out Now Presents Out Now. These movies that are coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week, and we have a number of things here. First up, The Girl on the Train. I heard that it was terrible. One of my worst of last year. <laughs> It was absolutely uh, horrible, but I would still say watch it because Emily Blunt so good. Okay, it's she joins like Will Smith and what's her name, Roby and Suicide Squad as like the best performances in terrible movies from last year. Agreed. <laughs> you didn't like Jay Hernandez? What do you What do you say? Well, yeah, he's also yeah he's also good too in a terrible movie You're until right. until he like decides to go like Diablo mode. Uh, I was like, I'm not expecting this. Like, I didn't know that was his power. Anyway. Um, no one did. Um, let's see. <laughs> Keeping up with the Joneses. Is that a show or a movie? It's a it's a movie. Okay. John, John, John Ham. John Ham and Galifianakis. Oh, that one. Yeah, that one. That was also supposed to be terrible. Yeah, that came out this week. Let's see. Ouija: Origin of Evil. Quite good. good. Surprisingly good. Quite good. That Mike Flanagan, yeah. the director. Yeah, he, uh, really. Yeah, he's um... Mike Flanagan. He sounds like he could sell paint. He sounds like he makes good horror movies because he's done so. He did uh, <laughs> Oculus and uh, Hush. Hush on Netflix, which is also really oh, good. Oh, he did that? Good. 
he, if they have to, if they're gonna make another Halloween movie, he would be my choice to get a crack at it. Ooh, that'd be spooky. Yeah, he's a very promising as far as a Bloomhouse trained directors go. Um, speaking of trains, Train to Busan comes out this week. I heard that that was pretty good. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a Korean zombie it? movie set on a bullet train, and it's awesome. It's uh, you've seen it, okay? Yeah, I was able to review the Blu-ray for it, and it's uh, it's quite good. Um, okay, especially as for me, you know, being a zombie movie fan like that, you know, it it does a lot of cool things. It does it, it fast uh, action zombies or slow walking. They're fat. They're fast acting zombies. But the use of the bullet train location, it really, and it's somewhat varied the way it approaches its different kind of action zombie sequences. There's a okay. lot of variation of how it tries to do things, and there's also a oh. lot of kind of character drama, which tends to come with zombies. Say no more, I'm sold. I'm going to go check it out. It's a good one for sure. Uh, let's see. Death Race 2050, a sequel to the Roger Corman classic. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to say. I haven't heard anything about it. Well, no, you wouldn't because it's a Roger Corman movie, so it just kind of arrives, and you're like, "Oh, that happened." But I, I am certainly, I, I do like the David Carradine Death Race. The, the, sorry, the David Carradine Sylvester Stallone Death Race from the '70s. So I'm, I'm very mm, curious about okay. this, this one, even though it's probably I saw the one with Jason Statham. This, yeah, which is a Paul W. Sanderson film <laughs> to bring it full circle. Oh, it? <laughs> We've come full circle. Yeah. What was this episode written by Larry David? <laughs> <laughs> you start hearing the song right now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's see. The Whole Truth. This was a lawyer thriller with uh, Keanu Reeves, which uh, was okay. Um, I haven't seen it. My problem was yeah. I kind of figured it out right away, and I don't tend to do that. So if it, mm. that happens for me, then it's pretty predictable. <laughs> but um, it's, yeah. it's fine. Um, Ali, the commemorative edition, out on Blu-ray this week. Uh, is that a documentary? No, it's the Will Smith Ali. Oh, Smith. oh, gotcha. Okay. It's just the commemorative like, edition. Like a minute, right? Yeah. Which I believe yeah. has the director's cut, which I don't think was on Blu-ray before. So uh, that's a yeah. reason enough to maybe see it. Uh, Twelve Monkeys season two. Or that's a good show. Yeah, I have two. There's an animated film called The Long Way North, which Brandon Peters, friend of the show, reviewed on Blu-ray. It is from the make from people behind uh, Ernest and Celestine. And uh, what Song of the Sea? Some, oh, some um, like, Irish Oscar nominees from okay. a couple years. I ago. like I like both of those movies. Yeah, uh, this is another one from that studio, what have you. So I, I'm curious for sure. Yeah. And uh, lastly, on Criterion this week, uh, something wild, the '50s version, not the, uh, which is also actually on a Blu-ray, the, Den- the Jonathan Demme film, um, and Fox and His Friends. So if you're familiar with those, those are now on Criterion. Uh, I haven't heard of. Well, by the way, answer to uh, Odam moments, Giant Man. Oh, yeah, Giant Man in Civil War. That's a great one. <laughs> I was like, oh, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> That's a good one. All right. Thanks for just shouting it out. I, I was, yeah, that's how that's we do what it. That's we do here. here. Yeah. Those are the rules. Okay, so that's out now. What's presents out now? Let's go on to Extremely Cool. These are things that are now on Netflix that I can recommend in some way. Speaking of what I just mentioned, Death Race 2050 also comes out on Netflix <laughs> this week. <laughs> so at least I'll be able to see it some yeah, There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's see, uh, the Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate There's, Events is now on right. Netflix with, uh, what, Neil Patrick Harris? Patrick I'm, I'm hearing good things about it and I'm very excited to watch. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard good things about it too, and I, I don't know why, but I just, maybe I shouldn't give it a try. I, en- I enjoyed the world that they set up in that, the Jim Carrey film, um, so I, I'm, I'm curious if they kind of follow through on that kind of production design with, uh, um, with I, I read all the books when I was younger, and I like, I'm a fan. Okay, how many books are there? either nine or 11 there's a lot but they're okay, short they're, they're like you know smaller than a normal book and they're they, they read very fast okay it's like, a goose, it's like a goosebumps 
<laughs> kind of. Kind Those of. are fun. I mean, as far as like you know, a, a young adult book, and it's like fast. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. They short. read fast. They're short. They're very whimsical and dark. Good okay. stuff. Speaking of dark, whimsical, and unfortunate, It Follows is also now on Netflix as well. Oh, which is, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. A horror film that had me, I had me looking behind my back a couple times when I was walking home from the theater. There you go. And uh, if you really want to do yourself a favor, you can watch It Follows and then listen to my mom and I talk about It Follows on a previous episode of this podcast. Mom's going to be a minute. That's right. Okay, so that's extremely cool. Let's move on to next week's show. Next week, Abe, you're going to be gone next week, right? I am going to be gone. I'm going to be on a little bit of a hiatus vacation for a couple weeks here. So Aaron's going to be holding down the fort. Okay. Um, But with that, we'll probably talk about the new M. Night Shyamalan film Split with uh, James McAvoy. But I also know the founder with Michael Keaton that does spread wider as well. So we'll... uh, We'll probably talk about some both of those in some capacity, but and yeah. mention Triple X maybe. It'll be it'll get mentioned. That's for sure. Okay, because Maxwell, I I want I want Maxwell to know that we're going to mention it. <laughs> it is the return of Xander Cage. So. <laughs> I've been waiting for that since 2002. All right. Uh, last thing we do here: what should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Abe, what should people go and see in theaters right now? If you haven't seen La La Land, you should definitely go see La La Land. Um, I know that it's been, it's basically had another distribution. Same thing with Moonlight. I would definitely recommend both of those two. Um, next, uh, I, I still haven't seen, I'm actually very curious about Patriot's Day, so I might go check out Patriot's Day. Maxwell, what do you, what should people see now? Yeah, with, uh, you know, the award season in high gear and the Oscar nominations coming out next week, I would echo go see Moonlight and La La Land if you have not, and also A Monster Calls. Oh, yeah. And what do you plan to see next? Uh, either Patriot's Day or 20th Century Women. Um, I would say, uh, yeah, if we've talked about silence quite a bit. I'd certainly say check that out if you're interested. Uh, Patriot's Day, I do recommend quite a bit. And, um, yeah, like we've been saying, all the current, like, prestige Oscar-y Academy potential films are out there. There's lots right. of great ones to check out that we've talked about on this show. And uh, next up, I'll be seeing Gold, actually, with uh, oh, McConaughey. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, directed by my. Stephen Gagan, who did Syriana and hasn't directed anything since. And I really like Syriana. He, he, <laughs> he wrote Traffic, right? He, he, yeah, he has an Oscar for writing Traffic, and he's <laughs> this is much different from Syriana or Traffic, but I'm still, you know, I, I'm well, it's Matthew McConaughey getting wind again, so and go and balding that, it, balding it out too. I mean, that was not him. Well, okay, never mind. No, he didn't go bald. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> he's going really method here. Yeah. <laughs> With all that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews, as well as on wisebloo.com for blue reviews. You can also find me writing daily over at Screen Rant and on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? Did you know that you can find more of Aaron's work over at Screen Rant, wisebloo.com, and all these other outlets, as well as thecodezeek.com. And you can find more of my stuff over at Oakley Doakley Instagram and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Maxwell Hatted, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cinemaxwell, and you can find me at Maxwell's Chop House in New York City. All right. You can <laughs> find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes and at Audio Boom. By the way, if you mentioned Out Now with Aaron and Abe over at Maxwell's Chop House, you get a free glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> well, even throw in ice for you. Boom! That's expensive in New York City. You can and also listen to our... <laughs> and a lemon. <laughs> Not a lime, a lemon. Uh, and you can also listen to our old episodes over at HHWOD, as well as SoundCloud and Podomatic. Feel free to email us your thoughts on Silent. I'd be very interested to hear more of those. And anything else we talked about this week on the episode over at outnowpodcast.gmail.com. 
Dennis, you should also uh, email us a little bit more of your story because I think Aaron and I would love to hear more about it with uh, you and your son about that conversation. But you can also interact with us over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or you can tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And feel free to send us all the gifts of Adam Driver screaming at things over at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. <laughs> be happy to get those and we'll be sure to do whatever you're supposed to do on Tumblr with after them. our show is done. <laughs> I want to see those. Maxwell, thanks very much for joining us to talk silence. Thank you, Maxwell, for being on. Thank you for having me. It was a distinct pleasure. Great. And um, Abe, I guess I won't be hearing from you again for some time, so good luck in your travels. I'll be I'll be making sure the show is still on the tracks. <laughs> good. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence Restless dreams I walked alone Narrow streets of cobblestone Neath the halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to the cold and damp When my eyes were stabbed By the flash of a neon light It split the night And touched the sound Silence, and in the naked light, I saw ten thousand people, maybe more. People talking without speaking, people hearing without listening. Well, when Dayton Hahn, you know, arrives in the Swiss Alps and says, I'm a duly appointed federal marshal, like that really kind of gave me pause. <laughs> this is where he plays some of the trailer for silence. Father Frere is lost to us. That that, that is impossible. What is what is what has happened? If it, you both got this vision, I like the Perry Hines impression. This is yeah. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> we then, must uh, we just, must go to Japan and we must find Father Ferreira. Is that is that he's your Irish Garfield? now? He's Portuguese. Or is he's that Irish your, uh... <laughs>